29. Um, I, will, I will read it out. I would invite you to actually pay attention uh, as we read, because uh, due to the constraints of time, it would be difficult for me to truly uh, read it again as needed uh, during the sermon itself. Um, I know many of you are preparing to watch a movie which is like three and a half hours long, so it should be okay for you to sit in a slightly longer sermon. Um, but if you are able to, if you could rise as we read God's word, John chapter 6, verse 22 to 59. I'll be reading from the ESV. The verses are on screen. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may believe and we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, and because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. And the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, so saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in him, and I in him, abides in me, and I in him. 
as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. You may be seated. Father God, we thank you a lot for your word, and uh, thank you for bringing it to our attention, especially as we meditate on this passage that is at once familiar and yet uh, has so much depth to it that we may we pray a lot that we may get a glimpse of all the glories contained within. As we sit in your presence, we pray for your spirit to guide us. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen. So we're continuing looking at the Gospel of John, and our focus has been, you know, this idea of belief. John himself says that the reason why he wrote the Gospel, why he pointed out all the signs and miracles of Jesus, uh, you know, he said he took a selection not everything that Jesus said or, or did. The reason why he wrote the gospel is so that we may believe. And often belief is seen as the entry point into the faith. You should believe there to, to be born again. But belief is wider than, belief is not just entry into the faith, but it's also continuing in the faith. It's abiding in the faith. When you think of eternal life, there itself, you have the concept that you have to continue. So belief is needed not just to enter, but also for staying in the faith. How to live life in this world and the world to come, which is eternal life, takes belief. And this passage, we are familiar with the miracle that happens before the reading we did today, which is the famous sign of the feeding of the 5,000. It's one of the many signs that proclaims Jesus' divinity and the rightfulness of his claims. In, in chapter 6 and verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So it's a sign that points to the validity of Jesus' claim. But when you read this speech, this discourse, which comes immediately after it, it's almost an afterthought. Jesus never actually specifically talks anything more about the feeding of the 5,000. You know, when you read that chapter, you see after he feeds them, he sees that they're about to come and take him by force to make him a king, and therefore he leaves, and then his disciples go into Capernaum uh, in a boat, and he stays behind, and there's a stormy, stormy uh, waters, and Jesus walks on the water, uh, comes into their boat, rescues them and they together come to Cap, uh, you know, Capernaum and he says these things in Capernaum. So the, the, the sign itself is kind of rendered almost like it was not the most important thing. You see, in this passage that we read, you can see that Jesus uses the, the idea of food or feeding, eating and drinking as a metaphor as a, as, a, as a symbol of how we are to live and how we are to sustain and nourish our life on an ongoing basis. The first of Jesus' I am statements in the Gospel of John comes here. He says, I am the bread of life, which is a very radical claim because he's saying that to ensure that you have life, you have to feed on me. And it's also an exclusive claim because he's saying the bread of life means that nothing else can sustain your life. 
and nothing else is needed to sustain your life. So what we see here is the difference between the life that all people have, which you could call physical life or ordinary life, and the life of belief, which is eternal life, how to enter into it, how to abide in it. And if you break down the statement of Jesus, which is that I am the bread of life, there's, there's a duality, a choice, a conflict that we have to choose between two lives, two breads, and two providers of that bread. Right? There's two lives, there's two breads, and two providers. So what do we mean by two lives? When you go back to verse 25 to 27, it says in verse 26, when they come searching, Jesus answers them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. He's pointing out that they were looking for him because he multiplied their food. And they had their fill, and now they don't want to go hungry again for lack of food. They were not there because of the sign, which is the sign or the miracle was, its purpose was to point towards Jesus as the only one who could satisfy. But they were there for the actual bread. They were there to have their fill. And throughout this gospel, and throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he points out the difference between earthly life and eternal life. You know, what's the whole point of his coming? John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so we ask ourselves, what is eternal life? What is everlasting life? What does that mean? If you think about it very simplistically, it means unending life. It's an extension of your life so that you don't actually die. But it is not an indefinite extension per se. It's not meaning, meaningless living forever in terms of quantity. In that sense, everyone has eternal life. Even people in hell have eternal life. No, eternal life means that it's not just life without end. Everyone dies and everyone will continue to live in some form or the other, but it speaks to a character and a quality of life. You know, one of the attributes of God himself, one of the very intrinsic characteristics of God is eternality. That means God has no beginning and no end, but also it is an aspect where it's talking about the quality of the life of God. It, it has a joy, it has a purpose, it has a security that cannot be found in any other life. That's why in John chapter 1, verse 4, we read this about Jesus. In him was life, and this life was the light of men. God is life. To be in God, to have a portion of the life of God himself, to share in the superiority of the quality of the life of God and all that it covers, that is eternal life. It doesn't mean 
that you do not continue in your physical life. But even when we are in our physical life, once we gain a portion of the life of God, then we have eternal life. It's a new life, separate from physical life. You know, in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, we know this verse. It says, but to all who did receive him, him being Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you are born again, born again through belief in Jesus Christ while you are still on this earth and you have a new life that has this quality and a purpose and a pleasure and a security that comes because you're living as a child of God. You're living in communion with God. You're not living in the fear of the judgment of God, but you're living in relationship with him. And you have the promise that he will never leave you or forsake you, that he's always on your side now and forevermore. That is why you have eternal life. Not because you will live forever merely, because to live forever just imagine living forever with just the people that you know. That's also kind of living forever. Would anyone really look forward to that? But to live forever with the joy of God, that is eternal life. And this eternal life is available you know, to everyone who continues to live physically, but it's not constrained by the limits of physical life. You know, David says in one of the Psalms, Psalm 8410, says for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. So it's not just about the quantity, it's about the quality of life and it's available to everyone who lives a physical life but it's not limited by physical life. Here in this passage in John chapter six, verse 54, Jesus says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So what he's saying is that once you have gained eternal life, your body will decay. But because you are a member of the people who have eternal life, Jesus himself will raise your body up. It's not your eternal life is not constrained by the limits of your physical life. So it involves resurrection as well. So as opposed to physical life, which is decaying, which, is, which has no eternal hope, which is always seeking purpose and fulfillment, which eventually just boils down to how do we survive, how do we exist, the day-to-day -day grind of making a living, as we call it, it is a life that is resigned to the fact that you always have to find ways to eat, to make a living, to protect against bad things, to gain security. As opposed to that, there is eternal life. And so these people who are following Jesus, they were consumed in the ongoing pursuit of this physical existence. They thought, wow, this Jesus looks like someone who will take care of our bread, our groceries. Imagine that. Not having to work again to buy food. To not worry about where the next meal is coming from. They had missed this whole thrust of how there's a better life, an eternal life that is far more satisfying, far more fulfilling far more in tune with the purposes of God. So when they come, Jesus says, he points out to them, you're consumed with obtaining and working for the food that does not last, that will spoil. See, in their time, to preserve food, they might have pickled it, they might have preserved it in salt, whatever, we have fridge, fridges now. 
and other means, but eventually all food spoils, becomes useless for the purpose with which it was created. Instead of trying to endlessly obtain the food that will spoil, instead try to obtain the food that will sustain you and satisfy you for eternity. That's what Jesus is saying. But the mind that is so focused on this life cannot think outside the boundaries of this life. It cannot think outside the boundaries of work and toil and effort. That's why in 28 and 29 of chapter 6, which we read, it says, then they said to him, what, was, what was, must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do? There's a human tendency to think that everything is obtainable by more toil, by more effort. What, was, what must we do? And then Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. What is the work? It's not a work at all. That you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus says the work of God is not work in the sense of toil, but rather it is belief in him, Jesus Christ, the one whom God has sent, the one whom, on whom God has set his seal of approval. You cannot earn it. You cannot work harder for it. You cannot justify it based on the effort of your toil. That is a category of the physical life. But eternal life is fundamentally opposed to the categories of physical existence. Instead, you have to believe. You need to have faith in Jesus Christ in order to obtain, in order to enter into eternal life and to continue in that life. What he's saying is the life of faith, the life of belief is eternal life, not just at the point of new birth, but in the ongoing new life. Faith is needed to enter into it and continue in it. So there's two lives. There's a physical life and there's eternal life. So corresponding to that, there's two breads. And what you feed yourself with is determined by the life that you have chosen. So there's the bread of this life that spoils. And then there's the bread of eternal life. So when you read uh, verses 47 to 51 of chapter 6, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now if you think about bread, right, there's different types of bread, but what bread, what does bread signify? It signifies the bare essential food item. Every culture has bread. Like today we have bread which is not actually bread, right? Like people make it out of ingredients that are not traditionally considered bread ingredients, but it, it speaks to the idea that it, it is something to sustain you, to feed you. And, and the Jews had the best example of bread that was ever created. They had this example of manna, where after they left Egypt and they were wandering in the desert, 
where nothing grows, where it's hard to feed yourself, God did this thing for them where he would send down bread from heaven, which we know as manna, which sustained them for the duration of their wandering in the desert. So they say, what is the most ultimate bread we can think of in this world? It's manna. You didn't have to work for it, right? You didn't have to cook it. You had to put some toil into it, like you had to collect it, but that is it. These people are willing to come to Jesus every day if he just gave them bread. The same toil that they had to do to get manna. So it was bread from heaven, literally, because the bread came from heaven. You know, we say the bread is so heavenly, right? When you eat some, a good piece of bread in like an Italian restaurant, uh, you know, dripped it in, uh, in like oil or butter or whatever. But this was literally bread from heaven. It just came down from heaven. But Jesus is trying to point out to them when they cite the example of, oh, Moses gave us manna. What are you going to do? He's trying to talk to them. Even though it is bread from heaven, it's still just bread. It would also spoil. Right? Manna would rot every day except the Sabbath day, in which case it would have a shelf life of two days. It was just bread. You know, whether, um, whatever, wherever the bread came from, it still was bread. And then Jesus also tells them in this passage that those who ate the bread, what happens? They also died. Just like anyone else who eats any bread. Whether you eat ancient grain or the worst white flour processed refined bread, you still die. They are still the same category of food item. It was still constrained by its organic nature. It was still rot and spoil. It was still bread. So regardless of where manna came from, it still was bread. It still would spoil. It still meant that they would die. As opposed to the living bread that comes down from heaven. He's saying there was a bread that came from heaven, but it didn't give you life. Instead, there's a living bread that comes down from heaven that unlike manna will not spoil or perish, but it gives you eternal life a sustainable, secure life. Jesus is saying, if anything, the fact that you know about the history of manna should point towards the fact that there was a day that was going to come when instead of just mere bread from heaven, living bread would come down from heaven. That would give you eternal life. If you go to verse 54 and 55, he says, um, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day, verse 55. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He's saying this is true or real food, and true or real drink. You know, here he's already talked about the food that spoils versus the food that endures. There's bread from heaven versus living bread from heaven. Now he's saying there's a category that he's introducing where it's like true food and true drink. True in what sense? Are you saying that you know, the bread that you're going to eat at lunch is somehow not real? It's not true food? No, that's not what Jesus is trying to say. It is true in the sense that it fulfills its purpose completely. 
right? If you think of food, what is the point of food? The point of food is to sustain life, which means the ultimate manifestation of food will be a food that can prevent death, right? If the purpose of food is to sustain your life, then the best food that ever will be is the food that will prevent you from dying. In that sense, no food is real food. They all fall short of the purpose, except the food of eternal life that ensures that you will live forevermore with that quality of life. The food of eternal life is able to sustain that life without being defeated by anything else. Therefore, it is true. It is always available. It's always satisfying. It always fulfills its purpose so that to feed on it is to guarantee that you will have life. That's why it's true food and true drink as opposed to the food and drink of this world. And you know here, as we've already read this passage, you know that feeding, this is not talking just about eating, right? He's talking with the, uh, uh, with the, you know, the common meaning of feeding in many languages, which is to consume or devour something, right? Like, you know, people say, oh, I got this great new book, like Harry Potter, you know, the last one, and I devoured it in two hours. Or my life is consumed by the pursuit of something. Or this purpose fuels my passion for doing something. We talk about feeding as a metaphor for what we consume, for what we are consumed by, and for what sustains us. And that's the same way that Jesus is using feeding here. He's not talking about mere eating. He's saying, what do you take in? What consumes your mind? What is your sustenance? You know, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, we have that famous verse. It says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. With the woman at the well, in John chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Whoever drinks out the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he's talking about what do you take in. The bread of eternal life, which we, what we consume from God, gives us security, gives us guarantee of eternal life. But the bread of this world does not. It spoils, it rots, it cannot sustain endlessly. It cannot satisfy endlessly. It has to be obtained and gathered every day. It is not readily available. And you can have no security because of that. You know, if you ever take a finance class or an accounting class of some kind, you might eventually come across this question. Suppose you win a lottery. The lottery is for $25 million. You want it. 
the lottery company gives you two options. You can either get the $25 million in one shot, or you can get $1 million for 25 years. Which one would you choose? And the reason they ask this in finance or accounting is because there's a correct answer, which most people do not choose. What do you think most people would choose? Most people will choose what? One million for 25 years. Why? Because it gives them the illusion of financial security. But it's not the right answer. The right because money loses value every year. So in the end of 25 years, you have not got $25 million. If you take it now, you have $25 million. But it's also not the right answer because what you can do with $25 million is way more than 25 times what you can do with $1 million. The potential it opens up to you in your life with $25 million is way more. You can start a business. You can invest it and get you know, like 10% returns. What is 10% of 25 million? Two and a half million dollars. So people don't think that. People think, you know what I'm going to do? I have a job. I will keep working. So I will get one million dollars every year and I will build up the security. You might get hit by a bus tomorrow. It's an illusion. That's what they're trying to teach you. And here, in verse 34, when Jesus says, I will give you the bread of heaven. Verse 34, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. This is the security of the world. That they cannot think beyond this idea that I need something again, 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 again. It's a failure of imagination because you're constrained with the fact that everything in your life that belongs to this world will spoil. So you cannot think outside the boundaries of that. So there's two breads. There's an eternal bread which fulfills its purpose completely. It gives you sustenance for eternal life. And then there's a bread that rots, that spoils, that does not fulfill its purpose because it cannot prevent you from dying. So just as you have two lives and two breads, then Jesus says you have two means of obtaining it, two providers. There's two providers corresponding to two breads. And we see the clearest example of this in, in verse 32 of chapter six. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. See what had happened here? These people had become so consumed with the idea of getting bread that they forgot who gave them manna. They said Moses gave us manna. Jesus says, no, God gave you manna. But you're so consumed with the obtaining of it that you forgot that all good things come from God. And later on in, in this, in this uh, gospel, they will say, we are disciples of Moses. He said, no, you're disciples of God. 
when you put your mind to the things of this world, you can miss the fact that nothing really belongs to you. Nothing really is guaranteed to you. Instead, it is God who has to provide everything. But when you're consumed with that, you can miss the, po- miss the whole idea of God himself. And you can say, it was Moses who fed us. Moses never fed you. God fed you. That's why we have, you know, Joy Losteens and Kenneth Copeland's and all of that. Because people chase after things that are blessings from God without recognizing that those blessings will not satisfy them. So when they say, who am I going behind? I'm going behind a person. Who am I a disciple of? I'm a disciple of this person as opposed to God who is the provider of all things. But you recognize here also that Jesus is not just a provider. He's not just a source. He is the bread. That's why in verse 35 he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Here he does not say that I'm going to give you the bread. He says, I am the bread. He's both the provider and he is the bread itself because he is the one who gives of himself. He is the one in whom there is life. And so what is needed to sustain eternal life is himself. In him was life. So eternal life is him giving of what is essentially, intrinsically within himself. That's why I am the bread of life. If you have to gain life, you have to feed on me. How do we gain this life? How do we continue in it? That's what we read in 47 and 48 of the same chapter. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So belief is what is needed to have eternal life. Belief is what is needed to feed on the bread of eternal life. Belief is what is needed to sustain you in your eternal life. You know, this chapter is very interesting because in the, in the last part of it, there are these verses which have caused a great amount of confusion. Especially if you go to um, you know, some traditions like you know, Catholicism, or other uh, Christian traditions. You know, they take verse 53 and 54. It says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless, they eat, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So they say that, you know, the table that we have, that we partook of, the bread and the cup, literally becomes what? the flesh of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can see how, if you read these verses just without thinking through them, that seems to somehow make sense. But besides the fact that, you know, there are actual passages which deal with the Lord's table in the Gospels, which do not talk about the flesh, it talks about bread, it talks about the body, it doesn't talk about flesh. And besides the fact that this passage is not in reference, it's not spoken to Christians, it's not spoken really to his disciples, it's spoken to the Jews. So it's not talking about the Lord's table per se. What is it talking about? 
So first off, you look at that verse 54. It says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In fact, in this very same passage, in verse 40, Jesus says the same thing, but in a different way. He says, for this is the will of the Father, that whoever looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So what does it mean to feed on the flesh and drink his blood? John gives us the answer. You just had to read a few verses before. It is to look on the Son and believe in him. So again, it's that metaphor that we're talking about. But it is not a mere metaphor without any meaning. It has meaning that its original listeners might not have understood until later. Right? You know, you, you always have these uh, pictures that some people put in kitchens, which is of like a basket of bread, you know, sitting next to like a few grains of wheat. I never understood why that is. Like nobody's literally sitting and eating wheat, but that's a picture, right? There's bread in that basket. Is that bread useful to you? Not really. It can potentially be useful. When does bread become useful? When you, what do you have to do? To bread, to make it useful. You have to break it. That nice picturesque loaf of bread, you know, with, with all the indentations, looks amazing, the browning on top. Not really useful until you break it, until it is taken apart and it's ready to consume. So Jesus is pointing out that something has to happen for the bread of life to become effective and useful for the life of the people who are to consume it. And what is that? In John's Gospel, chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, it says, And the Word became what? Flesh. He took on a body. His body would need to be broken on the cross. His death is what would enable the penalty of our sins to be paid for the wrath of God to be removed from us. John chapter 3 and verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God, what? Remains on him. So for the wrath of God to be removed from someone, it had to go on someone else. That is the body that was broken of Jesus Christ. That is the flesh. The word became flesh, and that flesh, that body would be broken in order for the bread of life to become meaningful and effective for the people who would consume it. And the, and the blood in the New Testament always points to a certain type of death. It points to a violent death. It points, in this case, to the death on the cross, the most brutal form of death possible. The wrath of God would be poured upon Jesus on the cross and his sacrifice, the shedding of his blood, removes the burden of sins from us so that we are able to have eternal life with God. So to believe in Christ is to, have, is to feed on his flesh and drink his blood. That is to have a share and a portion of 
His body that is broken and the blood that was shed, which is a sacrifice on the cross. If you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and that he died and rose again, then you have eternal life. So that's what it means to feed on the flesh and drink his blood. You need to have a portion of him and what he would do for you. But this feeding is not just one time, it's ongoing. Verse 56 and 57 says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. He also will live because of me. To have eternal life means abiding in the source and the sustenance and the nourishment of eternal life. And here Jesus gives us the example that just as he draws sustenance and nourishment from his father, so also we are to draw sustenance and nourishment for our eternal life by abiding in him, by continuing to feed on him. It is to consume him, to be consumed by him, to find our satisfaction in him, to be intimate with him as he is with the father on an ongoing basis, on basis. So what does that mean? To not live on bread alone, but to live and cherish every word of God. To spend time in intimacy with him, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in fellowship and intimacy with those he loves and calls to himself, which are his people. That is how you continue to feed. You have to continue, you have to abide you can't stop at just entering. You have to nourish, you have to be sustained, you have to grow in the eternal life that has been given to you. And yes, when we come to the table, to the communion, it points to this. Because only those who have believed, who have a portion of his death, those who are intimate with him and those who abide in him, can truly come to the table that is set with the bread and with the cup and partake because it points to the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. The table does not save you, but it points you to the one who saved you. And it is the privilege of those who are saved and have eternal life to come to the table to remember and celebrate the one who gave his flesh and his blood in order to feed us. You know, this whole chapter ends, verse 66 to 68. After hearing this, you know, after hearing the extent of what you have to give up, what you have to do, what you have to consume in order to be a follower of Jesus, a lot of the people who are following him abandon him. So verse 66, 68 says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Many will abandon, but those who love him, those who feed on him, those who are intimate with him, they will abide no matter what happens. Because there's only one question. 
where shall we go? Because you are the only one who have the words of eternal life. You are the bread of life. Which life have you chosen? This physical life or eternal life? What are you feeding on? What are you consumed by? The bread of this world or the bread of life? Who are you putting your trust in? Are you abiding in the one who gave himself for you to save you, to give you eternal life, the one who promises to sustain you and refresh you forevermore? Because he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You do not have to hunger anymore. You do not have to thirst anymore. We have to come and believe in Jesus Christ who is the bread of life. May his name be glorified. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your words, uh, for the meaning that it carries and for the implications that it has, for the hope that it gives us, for the security that it provides us in knowing, O oh Lord, that only one person can feed us, can satisfy our innermost desires, can, can give us what we cannot obtain for ourselves, which is eternal life. And that is your son, who died on the cross, his flesh, his body broken, his blood shed in the most brutal death imaginable, so that the wrath of God would not remain on us, but would be poured out on him. So we remember, O Lord, that the bread of life was broken for us, that the well of life was shed for us. And because of that, we have eternal life. May we have the passion and, and the desire, O oh Lord, to continue to abide, to go on in this life by feeding on him and being nourished by him. May our eyes never lose sight of the quality and purpose of the life to which you have called us and not be distracted by the things of this world. So we ask, O oh Lord, for your favor and your mercy and grace and your sustenance as you have promised. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.